<laughs> okay. All right. So is what I was about to say that I think that it is um, incorrect the way that Western people look at Buddhism and meditation or in the sense of Western uh, idea of Buddhism is what they call meditation and what they mean is the image that they create just like you do of either one or two or a whole group of people sitting on the floor, many and often dressed in white, all facing uh, in rows and columns in a certain order in a meditation hall, all sitting there, each one of them pretending that they're the only one in the hall. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. That's what we have the idea of meditation. And furthermore, the idea then of meditation is going to be that the people are doing this in the hopes of getting some benefit. All right. That's very Western. The whole idea of getting some future benefit. This is why they're struggling. Especially the retreats have gotten to the point of, oh, well, we want you to really look at your mind. Therefore, everything that you have been doing to do your time structuring, including reading Dhamma books, reading whatever, cell phone, laptop, notepad and paper and everything is given to the, you know, they don't confiscate anything, but you turn things in and you get your name in the sticker and all of this. So, um when when this is done people don't know how to handle themselves that that's way too much most people don't go in and just start enjoying or taking taking a break and so the whole idea of the western meditation retreats puts people in a position so that they can't practice correctly it's like you burden them down with too much, too many rules and too much stuff to do for too long a period of time. And wow, do people get miserable. I know I've done so many of those retreats. I think by now I've actually done more by teaching them than I did by doing them. But at one time I was kind of a record holder for doing them. <laughs> Because I stayed with Goenka for about three years, and I took every opportunity. Some of them, we were volunteers, uh, but that's the same thing as doing the retreat. Except that then you have to also listen to other people's stuff. Uh-huh. So, a much better way of looking at it is, is that we need to practice it so that we're getting immediate benefit. Which means that we don't have to worry about I'm starved for um, sensory awareness. You can have whatever sensory awareness that you want. The whole point is, can you have that sensory awareness and feel good? Actually, 
there's kind of two ways of raising kids. And one of the suttas, uh, the Buddha goes into great detail about basically in that in those days, boys will be boys in the sense that the young men were allowed to chase their desires. Sort of before they came home and did what dad told them to do again. <laughs> prodigal son, all of that kind of stuff that we're talking about, okay? But in our society, we don't have that. That we put our kids to work called school. And that we join that economy and the competition that goes with that from childhood. And so when people get into a meditation retreat, guess what? They continue that same mentality, that same competitiveness, that same desire for goals and whatnot like that. And very few of them ever come to a retreat with the idea, hey, I'm going to take a week off. I got nothing to do. I'm just going to hang out. And sometimes I'll hang out in the hall, and sometimes I'll hang out walking, and sometimes I'm going to hang out in the room here, and everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. But very few people go into a retreat with that mentality. They go into it like it's going to be a boot camp, and guess what? It winds up being just that for them. Yeah. <laughs> But the whole idea is, is that you don't have to go to the retreat to get this kind of benefit out of it. This is why, uh, actually through conversations with Achan Po, we tend to say Dhamma teacher rather than meditation teacher. And we always generally talk about Anapanasati. Now, I just read recently in one of my uh, books from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says there was only one kind of meditation that, that the Buddha taught. He didn't teach a whole bunch of them. He didn't have a Vipassana. He didn't have a Goanka retreat. <clears throat> he didn't have any of that structure or anything like that. And he only taught one one kind, one thing, and that was Anapanasati. But if you look at the way Anapanasati is structured in the suttas, you see that it fits precisely in with the Eightfold Path, that this is, Anapanasati is the way to develop the skills of the Eightfold Noble Path. That's an important point for the students to understand, that that's why this is the only teaching that the Buddha gave about anything that has anything to do with meditation. All right. Now, one of the things that the Buddha is looking for in this is um, what is commonly referred to as first jhana, and yet everybody's got a different idea of what is first jhana. And nobody knows quite for sure, and people on Reddit are asking, hey, I did this, that, and the other thing. Was I in first jhana? You know, this, yeah. <laughs> these kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, the first jhana is actually easy to do if you actually feel like that what you're saying is correct. 
when you say everything is going to be all right. That's first John. That's all there is to it. But getting oneself into that beautiful state of everything is just going to be all right. Because it's got all the components of jhana. Uh Here are those components. Number one is is that this idea, this nurturing, beautiful, everything's easy peasy and good to go, is wholesome thoughts, not hindering unwholesome thoughts. This is not hindrance. This is not a, everything is all right. Ah, is a relaxation, not a restlessness. It's not a boredom. It's not doubtful. Everything's going to be all right is deep knowledge. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. I feel really good inside. Uh-huh. Not only that, but it's just the opposite of dukkha. What, me worry? <laughs> That's a quote from Alfred E. Newman, you know? What, me worry? Do you know do you know Alfred E. Newman? No, I don't. He was the mascot of uh, Mad Magazine for many years back in the 1960s. Spy versus spy and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. No, I but his but his catchphrase, his his motto or his mantra was what? Me worry. And they had a kind of a Tom Sawyer image. A cool guy, cool young man, uh-huh. easy to manipulate anybody. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, this is the kind of attitude that we need to get where we feel secure and confident that everything is all right, everything's going to be okay, everything's fine. You know why? Because I can see it that way and I've got the skills to keep it that way. That's the right attitude of part of the Eightfold Noble Path. The Buddha was a lion. But it's not the kind of lion that's out there roaring because something's wrong. No. It's the kind of lion that uh, purrs because everything's going to be all right. Now, this is Anapanasati. And it is not anything like meditation. You see, the people who are doing meditation want to go really deep, deep in meditation. Go down there where the really deep dukkha is and stir around in that stuff and get that hog wish or hogwash, not hogwash, that hog mud. (laughs) All over your body. Right? That's yeah. how they think meditation is, right? Going on. Oh, no, wow, you're on full hog after it. Right. Looking for something in there. They're going to, they, with all of that hogwash, there's bound to be a pig in there someplace. Mm-hmm. Or like going through the horse shit. There's bound to be a pony in there someplace. Yeah. Generally not. Ponies don't hang out in pony shit. <laughs> They're smarter than humans. <laughs> uh, I remember that joke. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
we have to get these hindrances out of the mind and get ourselves into a state of sabai, into a state of sukha, being free from dissatisfactions. With that confidence that everything's going to be all right, and so now we're building jhana factors. And not only that, but the next thing is is that we have um, applied and sustained speech in the sense that we can get on a topic and stay on it. And we can get to develop that. It, it looks like a good memory because, in fact, sati is, a, is memory, to remember, to keep looking at what you're reading rather than thinking about something else, pretending that you're reading because you're not absorbing it. If you actually pull it in, you will remember it. That's what sati is really all about. And so we really have to keep track. And that keeping track is called sustained thought. To be able to keep it, and in this case, keep it wholesome. Keep it on track. So in dealing with people, what we learn to do then is actually, we can use ordinary language and say, pay attention to what they're saying. Most people, when they're, when they're, two people are in a conversation, they're competing with each other for airtime. Yeah. Rather than really responding and giving some and, and being in, in real communication. All right. That's the meta that is also the bonding. And when you're bonding with someone, when you're really you're, uh, doing that, you're actually paying attention to them. You're looking at them and you're listening to what they have to say and you're getting a good load out of what it is. All right. So that is actually a quality of first jhana is to be able to look and pay attention and to stay on it. And we practice that by staying on the breath. To keep remembering to take those long, deep breaths. It's not that, oh, I'm going to think about the breathing and not change it. No, I'm actually, while I'm talking, I work with the breath. And now I'll breathe in. And so thinking about the breath while we're talking is actually very good. Really? So that, yeah, so that we start noticing how long. I mean, the opera singers do this all the time. Hmm. Musicians, we train to have a long out breath so that you can sustain a note or play a passage without having to take a breath mark. And so this is part of the mindfulness of keeping bringing us back to the here now over and over and over and over again. Why? Well, for one thing, so that while we're getting the body oxygenated, the mind is bright. The mind's healthy when it's up and alert. So this is the way that we begin to, to look at, at, at practice, because this can be done at any time doesn't have to be squatting on the floor, but it actually is a good idea to do just that. 
I think that the main reason why the Buddha was talking about going to a hut or to a uh, pile of straw or to a, uh, under a tree and to sit cross-legged and upright, and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa verifies it, just because it's a comfortable way of sitting if you're sitting on the ground. Westerners wouldn't dare sit on the ground, except when they're at the beach or other special occasions, and then they don't even know how to do it because they do it so rarely. Ain't that the truth? Here in Thailand, in fact, the last time it happened was December the 4th with Kitty's birthday. There was about 35 people. And some of them were on um, uh, Thailand. For some reason, they have uh, gotten used to having great big tables, big flat tables. Can also double as a bed, mm-hmm. a double bed, but that's a joke. Oh. But here we have five, five or six people sitting on this 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 thing upright. Many of them in um, lotus posture. Half of them are in um, other postures. Some of them have their legs back in ways that I can't even sit. <clears throat> and they've been sitting on the floor like that. The rest of them are all on the floor, actually sitting on the concrete. And that was okay. Nobody needed to have cushions and pads or anything like that. That's just part of the culture here in Thailand. And so when the Thai people walk into the meditation hall and sitting on the floor for them, it's no big deal. Well, the Westerner, they think that it's an endurance thing, that it's a um, no pain, no gain situation. Yeah. And so they have competitions about who can get their knees down to the floor sooner. And how can I do it? The answer is, is well, you, you, you tightened yourself up. Now all you have to do is just loosen yourself out. <laughs> and let gravity pull the knees down. Yes. That the right thing to do is to get your tailbone elevated mm-hmm. so that the knees can finally relax. But it's not a goal. Let the knees relax and let them enjoy the fact that they've got the goal met. You don't have to do anything. Not your business. Just your knees. <laughs> All right, so this is why we're saying back to the, if the knees are still elevated, that's all right. Everything's fine. Got no worries. It's easy. The whole idea is to sit comfortably. And when you actually are comfortable and can sustain that without dropping into, oh, well, I got to go do this or something else is happening. Or I've got to write that email. Or maybe I want to quit my job and come to live in Thailand and do this all the time. And, well, you're not even doing what you want to do all the time. You're sitting here thinking about doing it some other time. (laughs) 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 And these are all hindrances. And the way that we can guess that they're hindrances is because they're talking about the future and talking about the past. And wholesome thoughts are generally about what's happening right now. Like everything's fine. 
Everything is good. Wow, what a marvelous day. Little songs, we got bunches of them. zippity doo da, zippity a. It feels like when I do that, it's disingenuine, though. You know, well, that's the whole point is, is that you've got to make it genuine. You've got to be that little kid getting a mantra for the first time that it actually means something. Uh-huh. You've got to let it be real. How do you let it there be you, real? Because all you have to do is stop criticizing it. Uh-huh. And actually believe that, yeah, everything really is okay. I mean, right now, look at you right now. Everything is fine. Things okay. Everything really is okay. Yeah. Right now, you got no worries. You don't have to be squatting on the floor and in deep meditation or anything to say it. You can just sit here with me and we can talk and converse because that's part of First John is to be able to talk about this stuff. That's where we use the mantras in First John. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> that was a good moment. <laughs> and I've 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 started taking this approach with with students because um, giving them didactic information. I mean, I haven't I haven't said anything new to you today. So what I have been doing is an in, as a hypnotic induction with you just from the past five minutes. Mm. By repeating that word over and over again, everything's going to be fine. And you're beginning to buy it now. I am. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, in fact, feel good right now. You don't have to feel like you need something from me because you don't need anything. We're just enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's important for me to hear that. So I like, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy hearing it because everything that I, I mean, you get it. Like everything that we know is like, it's not okay. Right. And our culture teaches us it's not okay. Right. Yes. Very much. When the child is learning to write. The scrawls that he makes with the backwards R's and the letters go whoppy John, the whole thing goes up in the air and all of that. I know I've got an eight-year-old, so I know how the process goes about her learning to write, okay? And we criticize that poor child every step of the way. Right. And that child picks up that criticism and carries it away. Mm -hmm. And lives her life by that criticism. that we're critical of each other. We're critical of ourselves. Everything is not all right. Everything needs to be fixed. Everything is broken. And if we didn't fix everything, we wouldn't have such a marvelous society that we've got. Yeah. Guess what? We don't need a marvelous society. All we need is a tree to squat under. A nice little paradise with a little porch to sit on, and that's all we need. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. (laughs) 
And all of the teachings of the Buddha is all just this. But I picked up something from Machan Po, and I picked up something from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. You know what it was? Joy. And joy is not printed in books. Well, not often. <laughs> it's even hard to pick up Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's joy in his books. How long did it take you to do that? Pardon? How long did it take you to do that? How, what's, how long? How long, uh, how long did it take? I guess that's not the right phrasing of the question. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, it seems like for a lot of people, you get to a, you reach a certain level of like, either maturity age or like stage in your practice where you get to the point where something seems to happen where you understand things in a different light you hear the same thing over and over again and for whatever reason that time it clicked more than it did the other times mm -hmm. well that's the job of the teacher is to find a way to say it so that it finally yeah. clicks yeah. Without it taking years and years and years of hard, strenuous practice. See, for I, I, feel, I feel like for me, I've had those. The first time I talked to you, I remember um, I went on for like a year and maybe I was too young or maybe I just wasn't doing it in the right way. I, it's definitely what it was. But um, I feel like I just spun my wheels for so long. You know what I mean? You ain't got nothing on me, boy. <laughs> I got scars I can't even show you. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet. I'm yeah. doing the Jaws movie right now. <laughs> you remember the Jaws movie the night before the shark ate everybody? Oh. Right. It's when they're, they're when they're comparing scars, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, everybody's like that, though. Everybody feels like they're on that boat mm -hmm. the night before the shark. All of us comparing scars. Mm -hmm. That's the competition. My scar is bigger than your scar. You ain't seen nothing. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> So this is what we need to do is to is to remember to break all of that stuff out. And so that your practice is not reserved to a sitting time or posture. But the Buddha does talk about the the value of seclusion to get away from other people and stay away from other people as much as you can so that you can take the opportunity to gladden your mind without any more interference than you're already given yourself. Mm -hmm. But that's the whole idea of getting away from the world is, is basically <laughs> is to say, is to figure out that when you did get away from the world, you didn't, you brought it with you. Yeah. And so now there's a second level of task to get rid of the world to get out of the world. 
And where is that place that's out of this world? It is everything's fine, everything's all right. The world is really messed up. You don't believe me, ask anyone out there in that world. <laughs> They'll tell you how much stuff it is. <laughs> and we need to seclude ourselves from that world, including secluding ourselves from our own mental world. It's all messed up that needs to be fixed. Job to be done. Groceries to bring in. Cotton to pick. Well, Maybe not this month, <laughs> but you know where I was raised. <laughs> <laughs> also, tobacco. <laughs> uh -huh. So now we recognize that that whole world is, is in fact broken. And it's not our job to fix it. Our job is to get out of it completely and to get into a world that's not competitive and into a world that's cooperative where everything's all right. We can be friends. We don't have to be enemies. Unless we choose to be consciously. But we got to get out of the habit of it rather than just that's the automatic. And so this is also a, a kind of a way of learning to deal with other people. Is that if you don't have this attitude of everything's all right, how are they going to pick it up from you? Yeah. So that's why we keep coming back to everything is all right. And so the number one job is sati, to remember. That's the big one. If you can't remember to be happy, then <laughs> it's going to be a little more difficult. Yeah. But if you remember to keep coming back to this gladdening of the mind from the Buddha, everything's okay. Or in the beginning, it would be, aha, I see you, Myra. Aha, I see it. I see that stuff. I see that I'm making a mess for my own mind by making plans. When right now, everything's okay. And so now I come back and I say, yeah, that's right. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. This present moment is good enough. And it's powerful. As Eckhart Tolle says, power of now, power of now. Um, I need to get off to bed soon here. Um, All right. Well, I think that we've gotten something accomplished today. I think we have too. To change your attitude that that meditation is the practice of not practicing anymore. <laughs> not the way that you used to practice meditation wanting yeah, like something out separate, of it yeah it's, mm. own, it's not a separate entity alright Connor I'm really glad to see you again yes thank you for the time as always I'm always very appreciative talk soon see you soon